and welcome to the final... Oh, I almost said the final episode of Into the Aether. The final <laughs> spooky season episode of Into the Aether, a Loki video game podcast for the year 2020. Um, this is going to be the, the last episode, not the last episode where we'll ever talk about horror games this year, maybe, but uh, definitely the last spooky season segment. Uh, and we thought it'd be fun to do the whole episode as one big spooky season segment. Um, I think I I might be stretching the limits of, of what we can consider a spooky season game for the first one I want to talk about today, but we have four spooky season games to talk about today, which I'm very excited about. Um, it's what keeps it interesting. We can yeah. define it doesn't have to all be horror. Honestly, this is the most horror centric we've been yeah. between uh, Alien Isolation and Resident Evil Seven. Also, I'm Stephen Hilger. Hi. Oh, uh, hi. I'm Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I feel I feel like I just yeah I feel like I just astral projected the opening of this podcast into the MP3 file. I rolled a two on wisdom and just disappeared <laughs> when you did that. <laughs> um. Anyway, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the the first game, which I'm I'm really excited to talk about. Um, so the first game I want to bring to the table this week. Why am I doing it in such an official capacity? Doesn't matter. It's called Disc Room. It's out for the Nintendo Switch and I believe PC. I don't know if it's available anywhere else uh, yet, but uh, it is a game being published by Devolver Digital. It is by uh, four developers who are the minds behind things like um, Super Crate Box and Minute uh, and mm. Heavy Bullets. Um, what was the one from this year? Sludge Life. So like you got you got a bunch of indie developers who are, you know, just wonderful and kind of like renowned on their own uh, coming together to make like a really kind of wild thing. The reason so the reason I think that this game maybe feels kind of strange for a spooky season segment is that it's not like a horror game really at all, like less so than most games that we talk about. But I was listening to the wonderful uh, eggplant podcast uh, where they had all four of the developers on for an interview and they talked about a little bit of the aesthetic inspiration, how it's pulling a lot from like 70s horror sci fi, uh, which is kind of cool. And also the game is about. Uh, a scientist boarding uh, a UFO that's like orbiting Jupiter uh, that's filled with metal blades that are sentient and rip you to pieces. So like there's some actually yeah, yeah you there, could argue. there's some there's some gory shit going on there. Yeah, it's a little Halloween. It's a little scary. So yeah, that's that's the setup <laughs> for the game is uh, we we on Earth receive a satellite transmission from like this object that's that's orbiting Jupiter. Um, they head up there and send a scientist in and it's a bunch of disks uh that are that are bouncing around a room and every room in this game is set up as just a square for the most part at least as as i've seen so far maybe it switches up eventually but they're usually just a square there's a bunch of discs uh like metal saw blades that just kind of bounce around however they want um and you have to avoid them and not die and if you die you just immediately can respawn in that room um and uh try to not die again uh, you progress by unlocking doors within each room. So each room will have a door that goes like up, left, right or down. And those doors will unlock based on certain goals that you have to achieve. So like the simplest goal is just survive 10 seconds in the room. Just like don't get killed by a disc for 10 seconds. Um, and in the beginning of the game, uh, you might find that a little bit difficult, but eventually, you know, you'll kind of get the hang of just dodging discs and things like that. But what's wonderful is that the more rooms you start to move into, the more discs they introduce. So there are discs that like behave differently than just like they spin around and bounce. 
some of them will like cling to walls. So like there's constantly discs, you know, spinning around the walls so you can't really hide uh, for any reason. Some discs will like shoot other smaller discs out. Some discs are really small. There's one room in particular that I'm thinking of that's like a bunch of really small discs. There's like maybe 50 to 100 of these small discs. Um, and it's really difficult to try and dodge them all because like there's no way for your brain to really keep track of what's going on. Um, so that's like the basic idea of the game is like, let's just see how many different ways we can kind of iterate on this one basic idea of like you're dodging a disc and hoping that you don't get ripped to shreds. Um, but they expand upon that idea in some really fascinating ways. Some of them are literally just like there's a constant timer on the top right of the screen um, for each room that shows you your own best time, like how long you survived in a room versus the developers. So you constantly have like a high score to aim for if you want. Um, Some rooms will be like, you can't unlock this door unless you've survived 20 seconds in 15 previous rooms. You have to go back to previous rooms and try and survive 20 seconds and all of those. Some rooms have boss fights in them that like markedly change the way the game works. Uh, Other rooms, like there's one entire area of this big spaceship where in the center of each room is a little circle and the time doesn't count. Like your survival time doesn't count unless you're standing in that circle in the middle of the room. So any time you spend outside of that circle is like wasted survival time, essentially. Uh, If you're trying to, you know, survive for 15 seconds or something, you have to be in that circle. On top of that, they start to add extra abilities. So there's one that lets you kind of dash, almost like a hyper light drifter dash. So you can dash through discs. But whenever you're dashing, that also doesn't count towards the time allotted. You get another ability that lets you slow down time. uh, So you can kind of like weave your way in and out of discs. But that also doesn't count towards the time that you're surviving. And then there are other rooms in which like time doesn't count unless you collect small little orbs that are dropped all over the ground. So you have to like pick up orbs and each orb counts for one second and you have to quote unquote survive for 50 seconds. But that means you have to pick up 50 orbs while like running around this room trying to dodge all these discs. It's a really interesting breakdown of of an idea that seems so simple. And it's like if you go and watch a trailer for this game, it's like nothing. It's like nothing. You know, it's like one of those ideas that's just like amazed. It's like amazing. It hasn't existed before or it hasn't existed like to this level, you know. Um, and, and I think I think it speaks volumes about like how smart the four people that made this game are in general, because it doesn't feel like too much. It doesn't feel like they're like exploring this idea to the point where like, OK, you've like pushed it too far. Now it's not fun anymore. Like it's always fun. It's always interesting. But I think at its essence, the thing that gets really interesting about it is that it becomes less of like a bullet hell survival game and more of just a puzzle game because yeah. there are rooms that you will hit eventually where you just don't know how to survive or you don't know how to make it through. Um, there's one. I won't spoil how you do this one, but there's one room, for example, where uh, your your goal or one of the goals is survive zero seconds or less. Uh, and it's like, OK, well, how do you do that? Because as soon as you hit start room, the counter starts going up. So you can't survive for zero seconds. But how do you make it through that room? It took me forever to figure out how to get through that room. Things like that. I mean, it's just really smart about iterating on itself and introducing new concepts um, in in a way that is like uh, thrilling and like kind of perception shifting. And and I love it. I mean, it's it is so, so fun. It is such a fun game. Um, I mean, even down to the art is like very goofy. It has kind of that um, almost adjacent to a short hike, like it has no anti-aliasing. So it kind of looks mm. like jaggedy and like kind of fucked up. Um, but <laughs> it, it's really, really clear in a way that I 
uh, think this kind of game has to be, obviously, because yeah, you're, you have to yeah. dodge all these discs. But uh, Disc Room is really cool. I, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, that's that's my like base level pitch for this thing. That sounds awesome. I love the focus design of like, OK, how do we even experiment with the idea of a timer? That's very yes. fascinating. How do you, I never even thought to add those layers to it. You said it's on Switch as well? It's on Switch. Yeah, that's where I'm playing it currently. Uh, uh, it's cool. really great in handheld mode. Um, I played it on the TV a little bit, but it's definitely like it shines a lot in handheld mode. Um, I don't know why, because uh, you'd think having it on a bigger screen would make it easier to dodge more discs. There, there is a lot of stuff in this game that I think is really interesting. So like, you know, outside of all the stuff that I already mentioned, um, and, and even as it gets closer to becoming more of a puzzle game, like one of the puzzles, I think, just in total is that there's like narrative here in an interesting mm-hmm. way. So you have almost like a Pokedex of all the discs <laughs> that you've died against. Um, and oh, some, some rooms are like you have to have died against 50 different kinds of discs to get through here or something. So you have to like go find all the rooms uh, and like sometimes you have to like do certain things to get new kinds of discs to spawn in that room, things like that. So, but when you die against each of the discs, uh, you get that disc in your like bestiary of discs, I guess. And if you read the descriptions for each one, uh, starting with the first one going all the way to the end, it kind of tells like a coherent story. None of none of the descriptions are actually describing the discs at all. What they really are are the scientists that you're playing as like coming to terms with the environment that she's found herself in. Um, and like by coming to terms with it, she's kind of falling apart. Um, she's not like losing it, but she's kind of falling apart. You can you can very much like feel this like this tension um, and this and this like unexplained uh, horror of the place that she's in. Um, you know, there are times where she's like, I have to become a disc if I want to get through here. Things like that, you know, which are like silly when you think about it outside of the context of the game. But when you've been playing it for as long as you have and you get to that entry, it's like, oh, that's actually horrifying because she might mean it. Um, yeah. Which I, I think uh, does a lot to add to what could be a very simple game. Um, adding any meta narrative context at all here is really cool. Um, I, I think, but, but just reading these, these entries, um, really kind of turns it from like a silly, I'm running away from buzz saws and trying to not turn into like a big red, like glop of goop into, into like, <laughs> I'm, I'm solving a puzzle here, you know, even down to like one of the questions that, that she writes in, in these entries is something along the lines of like, why does it keep bringing me back to life every time I die? Like, I would actually mm. just rather be dead after all of this. Like, wow. Like, is it doing experiments on me? I came here to study this, but is it studying me also? Questions like that that are like really big and really heady. And I'm like interested to see if there's any kind of like actual resolution there. It reminds me a lot of Annihilation, um, more the book mm. than the movie. The movie, the, I think the movie does a really good job of like showing you the viewer a thing that like is hard to explain, but like really, I think at its core, it ends up just being kind of like a, isn't this wild? Like, isn't this like a fantastic and, and strange thing that you're seeing? Um, and it becomes more of just kind of like a visual feast than it is like an exploration of the place that they're in. Whereas the book is written from the perspective of the character that Natalie Portman plays in that movie. Um, the book is written from her perspective as a scientist going into this, like this area that's called sector X or Area X, I think it's Area X in that in that book. And they're all her like journal entries as she's trying to explain the things that she's seeing and she can't because they're so wild and so out of yeah. the realm of possibility. 
um, which is like a really cool. If you haven't read Annihilation, I highly recommend reading it. It's really good. But that's what this game feels like, which is like the last thing I expected because I saw some <laughs> I saw some praise here and they're like, hey, Disc Room's out. You should check it out, especially if you like any of these four developers, which I was like, oh, I've played all of their games. Like I've, I've I looked up all four of them. I was like, I've played a game from each of these people. I absolutely should check this out. And it's Devolver Publishing. I was like, yeah, cool. Definitely. Like I'll, I'll throw 10 bucks at this and see what it is. And getting to that narrative element was like, oh, man, not only do I like this, but I think I love this now. Like, I'm super in. It almost reminds me a little bit of like Portal slow burn in the narrative as well. Where like that game starts off as a very simple puzzle game and then it becomes like bigger. Yeah. Um, There's something to be said for that pacing in a game like this where you're kind of figuring out the basics and then it just kind of grows in every area, like both mechanically and abstract. Yeah. Um, I also like... I don't know what it is. I think it was like the one-two punch of 13 Sentinels and Hades, but like I love and I'm hungry for codexes in every game now. <laughs> like I yeah. never thought, I never really cared about like bestiaries or all that, but now like I love it. Actually too, it's a game that like you and I aren't as crazy about as other people. But the Witcher 3 codex is incredible. Yeah, it is really um, good. And it is updated, like, depending on your actions. Like, that's one of my favorite things about that game, yeah. other than Gwent. Um. <laughs> of all the things in that game that I, I will never knock, I mean, the writing was the reason I played as much of it as totally. I did. You know? yeah, and, that, and that extends out to the uh, the journal entries and stuff in that game. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, Disc Room is really cool. I mean, I almost don't want to say more because, like, there are actually things to spoil. I've actually said more than I was planning to already. Um, you sold me on it. I definitely want to check it out now. I, I kind of didn't really know. I was sort of ambivalent. Also, because like this, we pl- this is like <laughs> of all of 2020, I think we've been playing the most games this month. Yeah. So like I've been trying to like keep it level headed, but uh, I might just get it. Yeah. After all, uh, speaking to how much we're playing, I think I. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that we're talking about four games. We're actually talking about five games. I forgot one that I played for this week. Uh, wow, look at you. That I'm going to bring up uh, soon. But yeah, uh, Disc Room, really cool game. Uh, it's on Switch and PC. I think there might be a demo on PC, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, um, I love demos. Unless the demo is gone uh, now that the game is out. I'm not really sure. I know the demo was out for a long time as they were like kind of getting their feet under them and figuring out what it was going to be. But yeah, it's really cool. It's really interesting. I, I do want to mention, um, so it's like, it's not easy really you you start to like get into a weird flow state with it where you'll start to get better at it the more you play it like as expected i think with any game with any kind of mechanics um the more you throw yourself at it the further you'll get i am very stuck in it right now like i Mm. i have unlocked so from what i can understand the the ship the disc that you're exploring um that's orbiting jupiter has uh like five major pieces to it there's like a southern area a central area and then an eastern, western area, and then a northern area. And I've unlocked everything except the northern area. And there's one goal that I have to accomplish to get into that northern area. And I cannot do it. It is like wildly hard. So like just a heads up, I guess, that that, you know, could pose some issues. But as with, I think, a lot of indie games uh, that that you and I love, and as, as with a lot of indie games recently, um, there are really great accessibility options that allow you to change the difficulty in really like kind of minute ways that'll maybe make that easier. Um, mm-hmm. So one of them in there just allows you to lessen, I think it's like lessen the threshold you need to get through a door. So like, you know, if originally you have to survive for 10 seconds, maybe it's survive for five or something like that. Um, and I think there's another one that actually decreases the game speed as well. So you can kind of like have more time to dodge like the game around you will slow down 
uh, but you can still go the normal speed. Um, so I imagine those two in conjunction with each other would allow you to like see the whole thing pretty quickly. Yeah. But I've been playing the game for, I would say like maybe two ish hours um, and uh, and really, really loving it. So, yeah. Disc room. How long would you say the whole thing is based on how far you are two hours in? So here's the thing. If getting to that north room is the end of the game, then I would say it's like anywhere between like three to five hours. Yeah. Um, especially if there are like more difficult goals through there. If getting to and through that north area is just the beginning of the game, like if this is the first like level of the disc that you're exploring and then there's another level above that. Um, then I have no idea how long it is <laughs> Four or more, baby. Yeah. I, I honestly have no clue. Um, yeah. there are things that I've seen in the trailer that I haven't seen in the game and I feel like I've seen a lot of the game. So like maybe I haven't, you know, yeah, um, yeah. which is exciting in a lot of ways. Cause I mean, yeah, the way, the way they explore everything that can be done with this concept is really fun. There, there are rooms where like the lights are like fading in and out. So like, it'll just turn into like pitch darkness, uh, which is like horrifying when there's a bunch of discs flying around the room because uh, you have to like be aware of the trajectory the things are going in as it fades out for a second. There's one room that's completely black, completely pitch black. And it's like survive for 10 seconds. Good luck. And I cannot get past it. Um, yeah, things like that. I mean, there's really interesting stuff and there are a lot of secrets. A lot of secrets. secrets. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. I, I have wanted to talk about Disc Room for a long time. And now that I'm like doing it on the podcast, I'm finding that it's a hard to describe uh, and B, I can't really talk about it as much as I thought I was going to secrets because there are so many things I want to spoil. Um, but that really, I think, just goes to show how interesting of a concept this is because it's so simple yeah. and it's amazing that you know they were able to advertise this game and market it as well as they have considering how simple it is because you watch a trailer and it's like have i not played a version of this on like addictinggames.com you know in in the early <laughs> 2000s like it feels like the kind of thing that would have existed there um yeah oh it's like God. what makes this version of it special i guess um and and I think they answer that in spades when you actually play the game. I do also want to give a shout out to a specific trailer they released. That's the four developers talking about what's cool about the game, uh, which I I kind of just like wish more games did. Totally. Yeah. I want to see more of the people behind it. Like, yeah, excited about it. Yeah, that can sell me on something. So because I think that's something we talk about a lot is like to see the team behind it excited about it is always cool. Yeah. I forgot what game it was, but there was a game in the like most recent like Nintendo indie direct that had just that. And like, yes, it sold me on a game. I otherwise probably would have glossed over. Yeah, I don't remember um, what game that is either, but I, I remember talking about it. It was the one, one that, that looked like Ori. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one day I'll check it out. Anyway. Yeah, it's a cool trailer. Um, I would check it out. I think if you just like go to YouTube and type in disc room developer trailer, you'll find it. Um but it's really it's really fun. I mean, even down to the fact that like when you when you buy this game on any store, the instead of like having a company name or instead of saying Devolver Digital, it says the names of the four developers like, oh, cool. Just even like on that level, it's like, OK, cool. This is kind of a labor of love for all these people. And again, yeah, totally. I just want to give another shout out to the Eggplant podcast who had all four of the developers on to talk about this. If you want like more in-depth discussions about why this game is rad and like how it got put together, uh, definitely check that podcast episode out because it's really cool. It's really good. Awesome. Um, that's Disc Room. That's Disc Room. Okay. It sounds it sounds great. Do you want to take a quick uh, uh, break and then come back and jump into a pumpkin? <laughs> yeah, I really want to do <laughs> that's that. That's the scariest thing I could think of. That actually just sounds delightful. That sounds like a thing I just actively want you to know, do. That's the thing about Halloween, man. It doesn't have to all be scary. It can be delightful. Yeah. I actually, I was walking out 
I was walking outside of my apartment yesterday. Ooh. <laughs> and uh, beautiful fall day, Ooh. foggy. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have a bite of that? Ooh, that's delicious. <laughs> Uh, this is hauntingly refreshing. There were people and dogs in You are right to just yesterday. skip right over that bit. Thank you. <laughs> but I forgot. It's been so long since I like have seen Halloween costumes that I forgot that like, you know, people were dressing up as things they love. It's a very celebratory time. It doesn't have to be grotesque. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I agree. We, th- we always talk about that. The, those two houses in our hometown, the one that like had a big spider and like a friendly ghost. And then the one where like, the dad dressed up as a corpse and laid on the yeah. lawn and like, would chase you. Uh, Those are the two Halloweens. Yeah. Those are the two Halloweens. Uh, lawful spider or chaotic dad. Those are your two choices. <laughs> which are, which are you? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I think, I think I'm lawful spider, despite the fact that, like, word-wise, chaotic dad, I think, sums me up perfectly. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the same thing. Lawful spider is very much not my vibe, considering how much I hate spiders. But... Uh, <laughs> If given those two options with that iconography, I think I have to go with Lawful Spider. Yeah. <laughs> I think Lawful Spider is the right choice. Chaotic Dad is a little bit desperate. Yeah, this is our this is our new uh, what's the most jellical is Lawful Spider with Chaotic Dad. <laughs> I'm neutral pumpkin. Yeah. Somebody's going to ask us to rate all the cats in Animal Crossing by yeah, Lawful okay. Spider or Chaotic Dad. They're, uh, they're true pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's take All a right. break. Let's take a break. Jump into the true pumpkin sh- secrets. I want to do a quick shout out uh, for two things. One is for me and one is for AJ. Last Friday, I streamed Bloodborne. It was so much fun. Uh, it was in my tradition of streaming scary games on Friday. I think I'm going to do that again. So this episode will come out on Wednesday. So in a couple days, I'm going to return to Bloodborne. Uh, my protagonist Friday Blood just like immediately in love. They're a glam rock star. Just yeah. incredible. Uh, it, um, yeah, that I, was I fell in love immediately with Friday Blood. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that might kick off my attempt at like getting in some full playthroughs on on Twitch and then later on YouTube. So keep an eye on that. Um, it was really fun. Thank you all for joining us who were there. And our beloved editor and superhero AJ did all of Oxenfree in one sitting recently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was great. That's also, that's also up on, on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, not on YouTube just, yet as of the time of this recording, oh, okay. but, uh, we're, we're working on disputing some Twitch DMCA oh, nonsense yeah, yeah, that whole uh, thing. and trying to get that video up. And if, if that doesn't work out, uh, the video will be up anyway. It'll just have like, I think five minutes of muted audio out of the four and a half hours of gameplay that AJ streamed, which is <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was like, I think I want to stream something for Halloween. And I was like, oh, he was between Night in the Woods and Oxenfree. And he went with Oxenfree and just did the whole game, which I guess is four hours. I thought it was longer. But yeah, I also thought it was longer. If you had asked me, did, I would have said it was longer. Yeah, he just finished the whole game and it was a great time. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that because we're not going to talk about, we've already talked about Bloodborne and Oxenfree, I think last year or maybe the first season. Yeah. Um, we have a bonus episode on Bloodborne if you're curious. And Oxenfree we've touched on, I think season one like first spooky season and also in games of the decade but yeah uh so those are all up and around i just wanted to let you know that those exist because it was a really fun time yeah uh, both for me and aj yeah really cool um also by the time this episode is out i should be doing my morning streams again uh so if you want to get up early with me uh and and play some video games by all means 
I love doing that. It's a really nice morning ritual. I think it's going to be a game time decision what I'm going to play. It's exciting. <laughs> when I wake yeah. up tomorrow. It's going to be on Switch. That's all I know. It's going to be a Switch game. Mm. Uh, I'm so jealous. I need to figure out a way to stream from Switch. One day, dear listener. One day. I just don't have any consoles back here in this room outside of the Switch, so that's the only one that I have to, because uh, I moved my I moved my PlayStation 4 out into the living room so I could play 13 Sentinels on a big screen. Hell yeah. You know what's really exciting, though, dear listener and Brendan? Uh, in like three weeks, maybe even less when this comes out, I get an Xbox Series S. Yeah. And you know what that means. Uh, long time listeners know what that really means. You guessed it. I get to stream Oblivion again. Yeah. You feel that? It's gonna be the thrilling. Cape, my cape uh, flying in the wind, my horns <laughs> growing. That's my true form. I'm, I'm My power has returned to me. Uh, so I'm very excited to do that. And also just to have an Xbox. I'm very excited to have that system. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. I was just looking through Game Pass. Actually, I want to talk about that. That's, that's going to be some of the stuff I'm talking about today. Oh, okay. Um, that but, sounds fun. I, I was trying to do a scary voice and it wasn't scary at all. <laughs> um... Actually, also speaking about 13 Sentinels real quick, I think we're going to do that as our next bonus episode for November. Um, yeah. We had an idea for bonus episode that we uh, threw out, not because we didn't want to do it, but because 13 Sentinels was so good. And I think you and I are dying to talk about the game from a story perspective. Um, yeah, it will be a full spoiler cast. I think um, like we mentioned in earlier episodes that we had this whole year planned out and we did and half of it got replanned because we just got excited by something else but yeah those scrapped ideas will probably surface sometime later yeah um, like absolutely. they're still in the they're still floating around in the aether yeah but um so pumped to do like a full whiteboard tinfoil hat spoiler cast for 13 sentinels yeah it's gonna be great yeah me too i think it's gonna be great um i am uh, like so close to finishing that game like literally as soon as we're done recording i'm gonna go finish it i'm at 96 percent done hell yeah uh so i'm so excited I have, like, for you. I have like nothing left to play which is yeah. thrilling um nothing oh man i just like that battle system is so fucking i can't talk about 30 sentinels again. <laughs> okay um all right uh let's go back into the episode <laughs> okay. i'm gonna bang yeah, out two games true. real quick yeah take it hey take your time man it's the last one this is the finale yeah it's gotta have I just, some i just don't have a lot to say about either of these so it's just gonna be a rapid fire situation okay two quick hits let's do it yeah all right I'm swaying. This is an interesting mood I have today. Yeah, I was swaying a bit before we started recording, too. Yeah. I wonder if this is coming through in the audio, almost like uh, the Doppler effect (laughs) as I'm talking and going. This is very lawful spider of us. We're kind of getting more limbs, more appendages Uh swinging around the web. Oh, okay. That's a great segue to the next game I'm going to talk about. Talk to you soon. Uh, Steven, I played two horror games in anticipation of this episode oh, i'm so excited back to back one of them i played last night right before going to bed which was definitely the move but the first one considering you were just talking about appendages um the <laughs> first one that i want to talk about today is one that i played this morning not all of but a big chunk of i played carrion oh i'm so i'm i'm so excited to hear about it because that's been on our list for a while we yeah. like purposely saved it for this time of year yeah carrion is on game pass which is awesome along with another game i'm going to talk about later uh but carrion is on game pass uh and i i also have it on switch but wanted to play it on the big screen tv this morning just that was like the vibe i just wanted like a cup of coffee and to do horrible things as a big meat monster um yeah so totally. that's what i did um carrion's really cool i so for those of you who don't know the vibe, it's like a pixel art side scroller Metroidvania kind of thing. But you control what is like a Stranger Things adjacent John Carpenter's The Thing adjacent like blob of muscle mass and tissue with like a bunch of like 
tendrils and tentacles and and appendages and stuff um and you're escaping from a lab where uh, i guess you were created or being experimented on or something along those lines don't really know the full story yet uh because i'm like maybe halfway through the game but uh it is fascinating so the game is really simple to control it it feels way better than i thought it was going to feel to be totally honest um you escape from, you know, this this like tube where you're being tested on and immediately uh, they're just like, OK, we'll use the left stick to move around and you stick to any wall that you touch. So mm. you don't have to worry about really anything by way of traversal for the most part. Uh, you can, If you can see a place, you can usually get to it unless there's something blocking your way, which I'll get to. So you just kind of move around this environment. And if you run into people, you just like eat them, essentially. And they scream and die and get ripped into pieces. It's like all the tendrils just kind of like rip them limb from limb. Uh, it's horrifying. It's it's like fucking horrifying in the beginning as you start to do it. Uh, and there's there, I think, be uh, for some people, I definitely was in this camp. I was like, this is fucked up. I, I don't want to do this. This actually seems really horrible. Over time, you start to learn that, like, maybe you're a little bit more justified in doing the things that you're doing uh, without getting too much into it. Um, so that's the beginning of the game is you're just moving left and right, essentially, and like up and down and like through things you can like you can swim like the, you don't have to worry about water. Even I was like, oh, is is it going to be like afraid of water or something? And then it was like, no, you just got to go through like a pipe in the water. Uh, so great. Cool shit eventually you'll start to like bump up against you know blocked passageways and things and that allows you to do the second thing in your arsenal which is uh reach out with the right stick uh and press the right trigger to grab onto things and pull them mm, um, i love that which is really fun so you can if there's like you know a grate on a on a vent or something you could just like rip the grate out uh and throw it somewhere and you can actually use that like as a projectile and throw it at somebody um but alternatively you can use that to reach up and grab people as well and pull them close to you um it's worth noting that if you take any damage, eating a person restores some of your health. Um, so it kind of incentivizes you to both like avoid and get close to people, uh, which is really cool. Obviously, as you start to you know break free and like cause some more havoc, uh, they bring in some like military forces and like the people start to arm themselves with guns and stuff. And that's where it really becomes like John Carpenter body horror nightmare movie um yeah. but you get to be the monster and it and it rules i mean like down to the fact that there's um almost like untitled goose game you have the left trigger uh button mapped to growling uh so you can just growl oh, to that. scare people around you uh which is great you can like go up and like use a tendril to like tap on some chains hanging from the ceiling to just like kind of jangle a little bit and uh and and get somebody's attention or freak them out or whatever it, it's funny having come hot off the heels of us playing the batman arkham trilogy like yeah this game yeah. is like weirdly doing a similar thing but in like a 2d <laughs> metroidvania vibe um in terms of like the way you can kind of go about uh wiping these people out i have found the most viable method generally is just like lunge at them it's just like yeah. throw your entire mass at them and as you eat more people you get bigger and bigger and bigger and you become like a larger presence on the screen which is honestly really cool and you become more imposing and that's really fun. The thing that I think is preventing me from maybe going back and finishing this game, uh, like the reason that I don't think I will, uh, is I just I just don't know how I feel about the Metroidvania aspect of it. They continue to give you more abilities, you know, like eventually you get uh, this thing that's almost like the ability to shoot a spider web, uh, which lets you like, you know, shoot a spider web through a grate to like activate a switch. Or uh, if you're attacking a person or something, you can shoot this like spider web thing and like lock them in place on the wall and then like go take care of some other guys and come back and fuck up that guy that was on the wall, 
which is like fun and cool. You get another one that is almost like the Wario bash, like the shoulder charge um, <laughs> that allows you to like break through different kinds of materials on the walls and things like that. I mean, it has all that Metroidvania stuff. What it doesn't have is a map at all. Um, mm. And that's the thing that I found the most frustrating in this game is like it's it's just very easy to get lost. Uh, and when that happens, it's really hard to find your way back. I think the first like hour or so of the game is so finely crafted and so well tuned that you won't run into that. But as soon as it happens the first time, it's like, I don't know how I feel about this. And if it happens again, it's like, I understand why people would want to bail. Um, yeah. And I think it's just a case of like, maybe the game is a little bit too long and that's fine. Um, but it's it just kind of like an interesting dichotomy between like it, it very much wants to be Metroidvania, but not giving you access to a map just makes it like not fully commit to that. It's a hard thing to pull off because it's like you're playing as a monster in a metroidvania kind of like yeah. uh I was th- the first thing i thought of was like the ending of shadow of the colossus where you play as a colossus for the first time mm-hmm. and like it's kind of rough like you get this perspective of the enemy where like your attacks are so slow and they do that on purpose almost to kind of like make you empathize with them right. weirdly but like you wouldn't design a whole game around that or and, and make it fun but they pulled that off with carrying it sounds like they pulled it off that like reverse perspective yeah i guess just really hard to keep that going after a while yeah but it sounds really cool i've been wanting to check it out for forever and like just that just that like different experience in a very familiar environment sounds really compelling yeah it's cool it's definitely really cool I, they, they do a good job did you play the jurassic park game for super nintendo or sega genesis where you get to be a velociraptor <laughs> I've dreamt of that, but I don't think I played it. The only uh, I played the Jurassic Park game that was in the Jersey Shore arcades. Not that booth. one. I know which one you're talking about. Not that one. Yeah, that one was great. That one was great. Um, yeah. So at least for me on the Sega Genesis, there was a Jurassic <laughs> Park game that let you play as uh, as uh, Grant, you know, the main dude, mm-hmm. Sam Neill's character, or a Velociraptor. And there were like two campaigns that were happening simultaneously, and you could choose which one you wanted to play as. Which is very silly. Yeah. Um, That's so fun. But this game does a similar thing. This game allows you to inhabit the minds of the people every once in a oh, while right on. in the lab and like start to kind of understand and explore what's going on in this lab and where this creature came from in the first place, which I think is a really smart way of kind of breaking up what could become monotony of just like, yeah, uh, totally. uh, of almost like becoming jaded by the horror that's happening um by by slowly revealing unto you more and more and more of what's going on uh through these like moments where you inhabit people um i I think they do a really good job of like almost demystifying the monster in a way that makes it more compelling when you go back and play as them and then you get to rip more people apart it's a wild thing it's a really wild thing but carrion is a cool game that sounds awesome for some reason, I had this flashback of this bizarre Super Nintendo game called Super Putty. Have you heard of that? No. Super Putty is the lawful spider version of Carrion, I think. Because <laughs> you play as this weird, like, blue ball that's kind of like Kirby, where, like, you could, like, inhale enemies. One of the... I think that game is why I'm as weird as I am today. It is so bizarre and whenever you lose a cat like tears the screen away and goes too bad <laughs> <laughs> i'm loving this art i'm looking at yeah it's really weird whenever art. you punch an enemy they become a baby that's crying it's just so weird <laughs> i i highly recommend this watching footage of super putty but like um for whatever reason i was thinking i was thinking of like shadow of the colossus inside more directly mm-hmm. and uh super putty when you were describing <laughs> carrion uh i'll say this i'm the only human being on earth right now thinking or talking about super putty uh and comparing it to this game you just brought up but 
all all that aside, Carrion sounds awesome. I, de- I think I'll check it out on Game Pass once I get my Xbox. That's probably my plan. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, from what I understand, I think the game is like five-ish hours, like four or five hours. That's perfect. Yeah, so AJ can play it in one sitting <laughs> next time he's on Twitch. Give AJ your favorite four-hour game. He could play Undertale. That's another four-hour game. He could play game. Undertale. That's true. He could play Undertale. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I'm really excited to discuss. I know like we've been talking about Game Pass a lot already, but like I do think Carrion is like weirdly a perfect example of a good Game Pass game. Yes, we're like I agree. It's something that has like kind of a intriguing, maybe off putting premise, but like there's such a bigger like range of like oh I'll check this out versus like am I gonna buy this and have it forever? Right. Yeah. Really cool. I'm excited to play it myself. Unless uh, you're me and you do both again. like an idiot constantly. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's what I'll do, man. I I I was someone who bought CDs until 2013. So like <laughs> I I'm just a sucker for having the physical media. I yeah. think with games, I've grown a little bit out of it because like for digital copies, it's still buying it. But um, now I only really need a physical copy if like it's more convenient or if it has something special with it, mm-hmm. like. I have purchased Celeste three times. Uh, I have it digital on PS4. Yeah. I got it on Switch. And when they did the limited edition physical copy that came with like a booklet. Yeah. You know, I got that. So yeah, that's how I am. I am currently considering importing the uh, special edition of 13 Sentinels from Japan because uh, the stuff cool. that comes with yeah. it is fucking rad. Uh, and I kind of want it. It's the first time I've wanted something like that in a long time. So I, th- I think I might treat myself anyway. Um, that's Carrion. The other game I want to talk about in this like kind of brief um, horror indie game segment uh, is a game I played on Switch last night. Right. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Right before. Are you? Yeah, I just know nothing about it, so I'm, I'm really oh, excited. Oh, cool. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I played it last night, right before I went to bed on Switch. I do want to note that the state in which I played this was like maybe the perfect state mm-hmm. possible because you and I had just recorded our bonus episode with Tam about the Batman trilogy. Uh, we, you know, that was a pretty long recording uh, that, that episode is going to be coming soon, by the way, dear listener. Um, it's really fun. We had a really good time. It was a um, great time. I'm excited about it. So, uh, we had just come off recording for a long time. I had just finished an entire bottle of wine by myself, uh, and it was late <laughs> and I was tired and I looked up how long this game was and it was like, it's going to take you an hour. It's like, okay, great. That's actually perfect. I have about one hour until I pass out on this couch. So I played this game paratopic on the switch. Um, and it was wild. It is a wild video game. So if you haven't seen what it looks like, it is a first person game, uh, kind of a walking simulator, I guess, adjacent thing. Um, and, and I just want to be clear because we I've said this a lot on the show, but I, I, I want to say it again for this game in particular. Um, I don't consider a walking simulator to be a negative at all. I think like in a lot of instances that that terminology carries with it, like some kind of negative implication or negative connotation. I don't harbor any of those feelings. I think walking simulators are great. Uh, I like a lot of them. Immersive sim is what some people call them. I think this game is actually closer to being just like a straight up walking simulator. And I'll get to why. But anyway, uh, a first person walking simulator kind of experience. Very, very, very much borrowing from like Silent Hill, Resident Evil 1 era visuals. Um, It is using this concept that you and I have talked about a lot on the show of like prepubescent 3D technology, um, you know, just kind of like really early PS1 uh, N64 era 3D tech 
um, and and bringing out the inherent creepiness in it and saying, like, we're just going to set the whole game in a world that is made out of that kind of visual aesthetic, which I think is fucking brilliant. First of all, yeah, uh, totally. it's, it's a thing that I've wanted to see for a long time, not used in this way. I never thought that it would be used to elicit horror. And I think it's brilliant that they did that. But it's something that I've wanted to see for a long time, because as games become, quote unquote, easier to make, not that games are easy to make by any stretch, but as they become easier to make, just in terms of like the technology required to make them, you know, smaller teams can make bigger projects, things like that. I think a lot of people are getting a little bit tired of the like retro pixel art throwback art style. I tend to not feel that way, um, but I've seen that sentiment a lot on the Internet. Um, And I've always thought to myself, like, eventually, you know, Game Maker Toolkit uh, not Game Maker Toolkit. What? That's a YouTube channel. It's a good one. RPG. Ma- it is a great one. Uh, RPG game, Maker. I was going to say Game Maker, which is which oh, is like a okay. piece of software that people use to make games. I think Disc Room was made in Game Maker. But anyway, mm. Game Maker, you know, things like that uh, exist to make uh, or, or are starting to like uh, build in ways to make like 3D games, you know, and and um, Paratopic is is really doing that to great effect. So story wise, the game is really loose. I mean, there's so much of it up for interpretation um i don't want to say too much uh which is why this segment's gonna be a little bit shorter because like i think it's an experience worth having if you're interested in it but it is worth noting like this is a really short game it's like 45 minutes to an hour at most um and and a lot of your mileage will vary depending on like how much you kind of lock into the vibe that it's trying to elicit but there are three protagonists in this game and it's switching between them at seemingly at random maybe um one person is a is an assassin who's getting hired to do a job another person is uh smuggling vhs tapes across the border of state lines uh which is very interesting and uh, a third person is a bird watcher who's just out in the woods following like a weird bird this to try and get pictures of them at least that's my read on the three things that are <laughs> happening um it yeah, is it yeah. is in no way clearly stated at all that that is that those are the three protagonists even that they're three separate people it sounds a little bit like something out of Kentucky Route Zero. Like there's that specific of like yes. smuggling VHSs and bird watching. It felt very. It's funny. Like, I was actually going to bring up Kentucky Route Zero because there are some conversations in this game about like a, a weird power company that has uh, that has like fucked up the town just by being there. Um, I think I think it's a little bit more supernatural or maybe even uh, cosmic in in its presence mm. there than in Kentucky Route Zero, where it's a little bit more of like a magical realist like nightmare thing. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, this game, this game is very short. You're just going to swap between these protagonists constantly. There are like extended sequences where you're just driving a car uh, and there's nothing that you can do really while driving a car. It'll just be like five straight minutes of you just driving a car like down a highway. Um, you can listen to the radio, but the radio is like. <laughs> and like that's the talk radio that exists or this peanuts adult. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Or like just yeah. nightmare music. Like I said, there's a lot of this game that's up for interpretation. I think it does get interesting if you play it a second time. Um, I've played mm. this game twice now. Um, oh, cool. I, I played it again this morning. Uh, I had a lot of time to play games this morning. It was really nice, actually. I woke up really early and I played a ton of games. So that, that was cool. Um, but anyway, I played it a second time this morning just to like, I was like, it's short enough that I could kind of blaze through it now that I know what I'm supposed to do. 
um, and I can check out new dialogue options and things like that. Um, it's cool when you play it a second time uh, because you will definitely get a better handle on it. What does that mean for the game that you need to play it twice to understand it? I don't know, um, but I had a good time with it. Um, I think my first time through w the way it ended, I was like, oh, it, it feels like it's just getting going. I don't understand why this is the end here. But if you go back and check it out again, you might find some new shit because you know a little bit more than you did before without even realizing it. Um, it's really cool. There's 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 a really interesting game here and it does a really awesome. good job of doing a thing that I, I have talked about a lot in the early episodes of the show. But it's it's game as vibe. Uh, but for horror, um, it feels mm. like it feels very much like a David Lynchian kind of like Twin Peaks scenario, I think, where like it all just feels off until it suddenly is like very literally. And uh, it's cool. You'll have a good time. That's awesome. It sounds really I was wondering, like, if it's going to be more like surreal kind of like David Lynch or if it's more straight up like Silent Hill or Resident Evil. Yeah. It sounds like it's the former. Fully surreal. I mean, yeah, the, the beginning of the game, uh, this is in the trailer. I don't really think this is a spoiler even, but the beginning of the game is uh, you like getting the contract to kill someone, I believe. And when you're talking to them, it keeps like as you're going through the dialogue and picking dialogue options, it keeps zooming in onto their face closer and closer. And the texture map of their face is like contorting and like moving all over where their head should be. Um, and I was like, oh, this is really creepy. This is like a, just a weird thing. And also, again, the voices are all. <laughs> so like as it's zooming in more and more and like the whole game is just like really off putting kind of like green coffee filter shit. Um, it's, yeah. it's like it really does a good job. And then when you play it a second time, you're like, oh, there actually might be more to this than just like they move the texture map all over the face just to like mm. elicit a strange vibe. Like maybe there's narrative reasons for that, um, cool. which is cool. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting thing. I have I personally like as much as I enjoyed it, I would have a really hard time recommending it to people. I don't think it's a game that like I would just say like, oh, are you interested in horror games? Go check this one out. Because um, I, <laughs> I think a lot of people will play it and feel unsatisfied. Um, but if you mm. if you like this kind of idea, it's well worth checking out. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, especially this year, this whole spooky season segment has like really awakened a deeper appreciation for horror in general. Yeah. I actually went back and I watched the first alien for the first time in like Whoa, years. Nice. Uh, it was so much fun. Yeah. So it's just been cool to like get into that mood. Cause like for so long, I just totally dropped my interest in, in that genre and it's cool to be back, especially for video games. It's such a good medium for horror. Um, yeah. Almost too good. Sometimes <laughs> it's like, okay, it's too, this is working too well. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I feel the same way. I, I mentioned this, I think in the last episode, but I like horror games, at least the ones that I've played. Um, my, my yeah. general vibe with horror, like movies, books, games, like any media in general is like, if enough people recommend a thing to me, then I'll check it out. You know, like whatever the big mm -hmm. horror movie of the year was, was the movie that I would check out, you know, uh, for a long time. So like it was the Babadook that one year, it follows that one year, uh, Sinister, that Ethan Hawke movie that one year, Paranormal Activity, like going back to there. Um, yeah. I'll always like check out the horror movie, which is yeah. wonderful because now there are a lot of the horror movie every year because I think that, yeah. that genre is kind of like proliferating and becoming bigger. Um, and in games, it's always been big, which is so cool. Like you go all the way back to Silent Hill and things like that and Resident Evil. 
It's always it's always been around. And and I I think have always kind of looked at it from the outset until this one year. I think it might have been Resident Evil 4, honestly, that got me into it. But it was like, oh, that wasn't too scary. Like, I, I, I it was tense, but fun. Like, I had a good time. Like, yeah. let me check out other stuff, um, which kind of like unlocked that appreciation I have for those things. Somebody in the Discord, I forget who it was. I'm sorry. Um, asked me to talk a little bit more about Soma um, on the show at some point or like maybe talk about it a little bit more. And that's this thing that I, I would very much like to do that. I think that eventually maybe I don't know if I'll wait all the way until spooky season next year, but I do think that it would be really fun to do a full Soma playthrough on Twitch um, because I have played through the game. I know all the twists. I know what's coming story wise, which I think is the reason to play the game narratively. But it would be fun to play through that game again, knowing everything first i think i think it'd be a really cool experience so yeah um, absolutely. i would love to do that at some point that sounds awesome i mean that's been on my list for forever because you recommended it strongly when we first started doing the show i have it i got it when it was the free game on on yeah on ps a lot of people have it that's the thing like if you're a person who just redeemed all those ps plus games like it's just sitting in your <laughs> library somewhere i highly yeah, recommend sitting next it out. to neo one being like what's up steven why did you even bother <laughs> <laughs> I want to play both. It is, you know, it's, uh, hey, we play a lot of games for the show, okay? Yeah. Some ones are going to get, going to take longer to get to, but I always relish, like, I finally did it and it was so worth it. And I know that's how I feel about Soma. Yeah. Um, I will say, and, and I mentioned this to you, but Soma and 13 Sentinels are, like, kind of circling the same narrative idea in some instances, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting to see how they both handle it. Um, even down to the names of like some important things that happen in that game are actually the same. Um, oh, wow. Which is kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think having played 13 Sentinels, you will appreciate Soma even more seeing a different take on the same ideas. Um, awesome. Yeah. It's the same people who did Amnesia, right? Yes. Amnesia, Dark Descent, yeah. and Machine for... I also haven't played those either. Maybe one day I'll do that. I played the first one. I, I think that's Dark Descent. I played Dark Descent, which is like, yeah. you know, it's a fun, like, you move around a place and like, oh, there's a scary monster, you know? I mean, you played Alien Isolation, so you've kind of played that kind of vibe. It's it's a lot yeah. of that. I think I mentioned this with Soma last week, but like what Soma does really well is that you're so interested in the game from a narrative perspective that it's fine when you get caught and like the mystique of the monster isn't really threatening anymore. Um, yeah. Whereas the amnesia games really just kind of rely on that. Yeah. Anyway, you want to move on, uh, take a break and we'll move on to the next game. That sounds wonderful. I'll see you soon. Goodbye. Uh, hey listener, we're back. I just realized that I haven't told Stephen what game I'm about to talk about. Secrets. Um, I think I did though. I think I might have texted you about it this morning. But anyway, I'm, t- I'm talking about another Game Pass video game uh, that I had on my Xbox One S. Yeah, that's the one. It's called Alan Wake. Oh, you did tell me. Yeah. This is a game by Remedy Games that came out in 2010, I want to say. I might be wrong there, but I believe it was this 2010. sounds correct and uh was the like a new ip by microsoft game studios it was like a big deal it was 2010 too i double check cool it was a big deal when it came out i think a lot of people knew it was going to be good just like based on the success of remedy in general they had made the first two max Payne games which a lot of people really liked i haven't played any of the max Payne games never really found them interesting or even intriguing to be totally honest (laughs) Uh, but alan wake was fascinating as an idea even I just remember like it's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I just didn't even find that interesting or even a trick. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why that like this gut punched me. Oh, I'm, 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 so I'm all in. I want to hear, please. Um, I just remember being a big fan of Stephen King's books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, around this time in my life, it, it came out. 
I think this game came out, um, I mean, it was my senior year of high school was 2010 oh, wow. at least. So like somewhere in that vicinity. And I was reading a lot of Stephen King at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So like you couldn't have picked a better time to release this game in particular. So the game, if you if you haven't played it, follows a writer named Alan Wake, who is like very much a Stephen King kind of analog, um, yeah. which is wild because the first I completely forgotten this. The first lines of the game are a quote attributed to Stephen King, uh, which is very funny. So he's like a Stephen King kind of guy who uh, goes on vacation with his wife or girlfriend to a town in Washington state somewhere, um, kind of like a like a port town in a way. So um, not Maine, but similar vibe. They yeah, couldn't be yeah, too just, on the nose. Just, yeah. just Maine, but West Coast. It's West Coast Maine. I mean, honestly, it looks so much like Maine that I was very surprised to find out that it was the West Coast. Um, Lawful Spider, True Pumpkin, Chaotic Dead, West Coast Steven. There you go. Those are your choices. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. So the game, the game opens with uh, this dude, Alan Wake, saying, Stephen King once wrote that nightmares exist outside of logic and there's little fun to be had in explanations. They're antithetical to the poetry of fear. In a horror story, the victim keeps asking why, but there can be no explanation and there shouldn't be one. Uh, so that's that's mm. how the game opens, which I think actually like does kind of like sum up a lot of what's happening in Alan Wake really well. Uh, so the two of you um, show up at this town. Uh, you're you're there because Alan Wake has writer's block. He's having a hard time coming up with what his next book is going to be, but he is an extremely famous author um, to the point where this this like you know Washington middle of nowhere town has like standees like cardboard cutout standees of Alan Wake like holding his most recent book um, <laughs> like in like the shitty diner that you have to go pick up your like Airbnb keys from. I know that, I know it's not an Airbnb, uh, but you're like meeting someone there who's giving you the keys to the cabin you're renting for a while. Yeah, um, uh, and everybody recognizes him immediately. Like everyone he runs into recognizes him, and he's constantly just like, "Please, can we like keep it on the DL that I'm here? I really don't want anyone to know that I'm here. I'm like here on vacation. I'm not here for any book reasons. Like, please just let me chill the fuck out." Yeah. Um, but you can tell that like under all of that, there's like this underlying stress of I need to write another book and I don't know what it is. He's getting calls from his manager or his agent like constantly, whose name is Barry, who's a great video game character. And I'll talk about why. But uh, he's constantly getting calls from Barry. And Barry's like, hey, Alan, when's the next book coming? Like, what are you working on? You writing? And, and he's like, Barry, I'm on vacation. Please stop calling me. I don't want any of this, which is great. Um, and the game obviously, you know, goes into a very supernatural, like wild Stephen King route very quickly. You, you end up. Uh, at this cabin you know on the lake it's like a little tiny island in the middle of a lake and you cross a bridge to get there and this cabin is like extremely spooky uh there's a calendar that's like set to 1970 um it's clear that nobody's been in there maybe since the 70s and it's just like a scary place in general and very quickly all the lights go out uh and your wife gets like sucked into the lake and alan wake tries to dive into the water to save her and wakes up a week later like in a crashed car teetering on the edge of a cliff and crawls out and starts to fight you know dark beings in the woods uh people who have been overtaken by like a shadowy presence and this is the thing that like a lot of people were interested in when the game first came out is that mechanically the way the game works is it is i mean it's a third person over the shoulder shooting game but to be able to damage any of the enemies, you have to shine a flashlight on them first. You have to literally expose these like dark shadowy figures to light to like clear the darkness away before you can shoot and kill them. Uh, and when you kill them, they just kind of disappear. They just kind of like poof away. Uh, so you're not like killing people, really, as far as I can tell. I mean, maybe there's probably a version of the story that you could read into it that way. 
but just mechanically it's a cool idea uh this like interplay between light and darkness is a thing that i think was novel at the time because it was so hard graphically to make things like that work um that this game like being dark having light be you know your constant source of like uh ridding yourself of anxiety essentially uh was really really well done at the time um you know if you saw a street light that was on that meant it was a save point like that's how important Mm. light was was like oh if if i'm under a street light that means i'm good and then and then the game auto saves uh, and you move on to the next thing you get things like flare guns you know which allow you to like shoot and explode a whole ass guy uh which is really fun but i think what's really interesting about this game is just what it's trying to do from a narrative perspective um i mean it is a game about creation and writer's block and things like that um kind of all wrapped up into what is like a twin peaks uh stephen king twilight zone homage uh which is cool i mean the game opens with the stephen king quote you constantly run uh into televisions which are playing this game called uh, this this uh show called night springs which is like uh a twilight zone knockoff essentially mm. um that also kind of sounds like it might be twin peaks but like there are these five minute little tiny uh like vignettes that are like twilight zone episodes or it's just like watching five minute twilight zone episodes um which are really fun i mean they're all really fun and really goofy um they're like kind of like uh b movie versions of twilight zone which is awesome um so you're constantly running into these things that are like inspiration for alan wake the video game but also inspiration for alan wake the guy in the video game uh, which is really cool. And the game deals with a lot of like these questions of like, how much are your inspirations lending themselves to your work? Are you are you do you have too much of your inspiration on your sleeve as you're writing uh, things like that? And and uh, from what I remember of the story, I only played a couple out a couple of hours of it uh, this morning just to like kind of refresh myself. But from what I remember, there's like a, there's a character who's like a therapist for creatives who's like stealing their work and claiming it as his own, mm. like things like that. And there's a lot of characters like exerting their own creative agency on alan wake instead of instead of just letting him like write the fucking book um there's a lot of people with a lot of expectations like barry his his agent who just shows up in this town that he's supposed to be on vacation in um because he's like i haven't heard from you in a week and i'm your agent so i need to know what's going on but also i want to make sure that you're writing a book and then obviously gets sucked into this like nightmarish scenario which ends with him like he, he like wraps himself up in christmas lights and he's wearing like a headlamp um, and he's like, let's go to this like rock, this old rock and roll stage where they used to have festivals. So we could just like stand under the glow of the rock and roll like <laughs> stage lighting uh, and hang out, which is where a great boss fight happens. And you're using like fireworks and stuff to fight the boss. I mean, there are so many amazing things about this game that all came flooding back to me as I was playing it this morning. I forgot how good this game was. Like immediately I was like, why isn't this one of those games that we hold up on this high pedestal? It's like, this is maybe one of the best games ever. I mean, it's like it's it's like Bioshock kind of levels of like that era of video games. These are like the masterworks of that era. And it gets to a thing. And this is why I wanted to bring it up on this episode. It gets to a thing that you talk about a lot, which is game preservation. The reason that people don't talk about this game as much is because a lot of. So the way this game is structured narratively is that they're uh, episodes. I mean, it was released all on one disc, so it's not like it wasn't like an episodic game. It was like a telltale kind of situation. Um, But because, you know, it's kind of like a pulpy uh, horror thing, like they they set it up. So there are hour long episodes that you're going through as you're playing the game. And each of those episodes ends with like credits and like a song that plays. Um, It's very much like a like a prestige television drama in those instances. And the song always like alludes to the things that are happening. Like it's really, really well done. I think it's great um but all of those songs are like real ass licensed songs uh and there's a lot of real ass 
voice and songs in the game. One of the first thing that happens when you go into the diner is uh, th- these like two old biker guys uh, ask you to put a uh, coconut on the jukebox. Um, and then the guy is just like singing out of tune. He's like, he put the lime in the coconut. You know, it's like really silly. <laughs> Um, but because of all this licensed music, the game was like removed from the Xbox store and was removed mm. from Steam because they only had the licenses cleared for a couple of years and they didn't have the money, I guess, or didn't have the desire even to go in and license the game or license that music again so they could release the game, which just meant that there was like, I don't know, a five year gap where this game just couldn't be played unless you had the Xbox 360 disc, which is like such a fucking bummer. And it's the reason I think we don't talk about this game a lot. Yeah. Thankfully, it's back because Remedy has since moved on. I mean, they made Quantum Break next, but after that, they made Control. Yeah. Yeah. Control is, I guess, spoilers for Control, but I think everyone knows at this point. It's like it's it's alluding to a, a narrative universe, the the Remedy verse. I think people on the Internet are calling it, which is very silly. But uh, it, it's 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 a narrative universe in which Alan Wake is a part of what happens in Control. Um, you will pick up documents in Control that like allude to things that happened in Alan Wake. Um, that town in particular, uh, Bright Falls is the name of the town. Bright Falls in particular is like known by the bureau that you're exploring in Control as like a place of like real paracosmic nightmare shit um that they're constantly investigating alan wake is like an interesting character that the that the bureau is constantly just keeping tabs on or was until he disappears i guess but that's like that is the reason i think that the game is back uh on Mm. stores and is like currently available on game pass you can just download it and play it and if you haven't i highly recommend it um it's extremely good but it just really bums me out that there's this whole like era of time in which this game was lost it kind of works narratively because alan wake like it does get lost at the end of the game and is like popping up now in control <laughs> plan. Yeah. yeah i think they're i think they just released dlc for control that like is a direct link between the two games i haven't finished control so i don't know what that link is but i i've heard that it's cool i guess um but i think that that's the only reason the game is back and and i'm glad that it is because i i probably will finish playing it again because i'm like immediately in love with it all over again it sounds awesome i think there are some issues with like alan wake the character i mean he he just kind of like sucks as a dude (laughs) to be totally honest (laughs) um but i i also think the game might be aware of that and is like using that to tell the story um and i'm interested i guess to see my own read by the time i'm done with it but i i just immediately was like oh he i don't like him (laughs) i just don't want to play as this guy but it's cool i mean they do such a good job of of just kind of like mishmashing all the things that i love or should love all the tones that i love into a game that is extremely fun it it sounds really great and i mean what i loved about control like i liked control i didn't love it because i loved like the atmosphere and like all the like artistry in it but the actual game was kind of just a standard shooter which felt so out of place that was my issue with it too yeah yeah like you got some cool like telepathy powers but like for all that that game is doing, you know, and all the experiments that they're pulling off, like, it just felt weird that that was, like, the weapon that used to be Thor's hammer is, is just a gun now. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like Alan Wake is actually utilizing, like, the narrative themes to inform the combat. The fact that it's all light-based mm-hmm. is really cool. And I think that, that to me is, like, I love when a game's combat is, like, tied to the narrative in some way. Yeah, I mean, you could take it even a step further. A thing that I was thinking about earlier was this idea of, like, okay, what is a, what is a writer who's writing mystery doing they're uncovering the truth you know they're like literally shining light on dark spots to uncover the truth and like that is just the combat of the video game yeah that's awesome i also think that was like a i that was the same year limbo came out i'm just thinking of other games that like heavily mm. played with like very like light and dark contrasts yeah interesting 
Yeah, Alan Wake. That sounds cool. I mean, another my Xbox can't come soon enough, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a bunch of DLC for Alan Wake. Um, I think like actual episodes that they added to the game, and then also uh, Alan Wake's American Nightmare. I think was the name of the other thing. Um, I don't think I played any of it, and I don't remember it being received super fondly either. One of the big things I do know about Alan Wake is that it ends on a cliffhanger, uh, mm. which is kind of a bummer. But it seems like Control is trying to atone for that shit, so that's good. Um, but yeah. also like I. Remember remember what the end is um and i think it could be perceived in a couple different ways anyway so um i i think if you have an xbox and game pass um or if you just are interested in it and and have the means to check it out definitely play alan wake if you haven't it's re- i mean it's great for this season obviously because it's you know yeah. all it's just every horror thing mashed into one <laughs> um yeah but i i think it's just a wonderful game i just really appreciate like taking such an interesting protagonist uh, or even just like career and seeing how you could turn that into a game, you know, just being like, okay, this guy's a writer. What does that mean? If, if that's who you're playing as, you know, like when yeah. you shoot a gun for the first time, he's like horrified. He's like, I don't know how to do this. I've, I did it once at a gun range, like 10 years ago, like for fun with some people. And like, that was the yeah. most I've ever been close to a gun before. Um, I love the, like uh, you have a flashlight that's like constantly recharging. You have to like shove batteries into it. And like you're oh, big, awesome. you're big, big like metroidvania like upgrade for that is you just get a bigger flashlight later it's just like <laughs> that stuff is so cool i got double a batteries this time yeah it's um, very silly that reminds me of like the very beginning of silent hill 2 like when you first see one of the enemies which are like weird kind of like mannequins um the protagonist james who very much like probably has never fired a gun just like looks behind him and there's like a fence and he like pulls like a wooden like part of the fence off and that's your only weapon for like the first quarter of the game is like (laughs) there's this piece of wood you found yeah i think there's something very important especially in a horror game about like what are your tools because you can never feel too powerful but they also need to be interesting yeah and if you do feel powerful then then what is the intended transition to that like we always talk about with resident evil 4 it becomes an action game like halfway through yeah like once you get out of the castle and then like you're in like an 80s action movie military base that's the moment yeah Uh, once the zombies are using like guns like that's how you know Right. It is transitioned to a different genre. Yeah. And this game is doing a lot of interesting things. I, I think uh, very similar things to Resident Evil 4 in that, like, it's not too overwhelming to be fighting people. But any yeah. any of the enemies in the game could wipe you out very quickly. Like, you re- you have to be careful, but it's not, like, super daunting. You know, as long as you're shining a flashlight on them, you're probably good. But if there's three of them and one of them is behind you, like, you should, like, move and get into a better spot, which I think is great. Because it just, it just makes it feel, like, breezy from a combat perspective, but also very tense. Like, this game isn't yeah. really... It's not a horror game in that it's relying on jump scares or trying to do what Resident Evil 7 is doing or things like that, you know? Or, like, or like <laughs> yeah. a PT scenario. It's just... It's just tense, and that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to check it out. It sounds really cool. Um, I can't believe I forgot it. <laughs> that's uh, that's Alan Wake. It's available on Game Pass. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, and play Control if you haven't, too. I mean, that's a yeah. game that you and I both didn't finish, but still really enjoyed our time with. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, Control is a game that I've, I recommended to people and like have told people to get, even though like I wasn't head over heels for it, yeah. because it is so unique. And it's like, that game also works so well for some people that I'm like, there's, there's something right here. Like, like, yeah. And I say this all the time, too. Like, I think with video games, there seems to be a harder time with, like, there not being a giant consensus. Like, yeah. it's okay. You know, like, I know it's a no-brainer, but I just feel like for video games, this is desire that, like, we 
all immediately know what this thing is and how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that um, that's why I like when a game like Control comes out or, I mean, uh, even something like uh, Last of Us Part 2. I was just going to bring up Last of Us 2 also. Like, yeah. the fact that there are games that come out that you can have a very different read on and feel very differently about uh, without completely dismissing the work is important. We can, you know, that that's what critical discussion is. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I fully recognize that like Control is, is like, that, were, that was a lot of people's game of the year last year um i think there was a different game that was my favorite game of the year Mm. but you know kingdom hearts 3 (laughs) yeah you got it (laughs) uh cool Uh, i guess we'll move on do you want to take a break or do you want to just go right into it yeah let's take one more break and then move on to the last game the last segment it's one of mine yeah don't worry Brendan, this is it. It's the final segment of our finale to the Halloween season. Um, I didn't realize that this was like the last one until this week. Like I, I for some reason, I thought we had more. So I've been thinking I was thinking about, like, OK, what is a good like final game um, mm-hmm. to check out for the season? And I went back I, I, f- at the start of the month. I tweeted out like, hey, does anyone have any recommendations? A very close friend of mine, Andy, thank you for this, recommended revisiting the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Uh, and I did, because that, you know, it's not really a horror game, but it just felt so perfect for Halloween. Yeah. And it's a really big game that means a lot to me that we haven't talked about. And, you know, I'm always down to talk Zelda. I just thought it made sense. Yeah. So I I uh, got a shovel. I found where I buried my N64 <laughs> and I uh, dusted it off, plugged it in, got it to work. This still works wonderfully, which is great. The only casualty in my Nintendo arsenal has been my first GameCube and a Super Nintendo. So, so far, so good. Yeah. Uh, but I put in Majora's Mask and I play like the first couple hours of it to be fresh for, for today. And yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to talk about it. So before I do my whole dramatic monologue, I'd love to know <laughs> like where you fall on this game and, and, you know, all that, your experience with it. Yeah. So weirdly enough, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask are like strange kind of blind spots for me in the Zelda right. canon. I've played a lot of the like 2D pixel art stuff um and i've played i guess like wind waker on as well right um, so the, the beginning and the end the, the more modern entries in the classic ones yeah um ocarina of time i've played like about half of but by the time i was playing it i, I was just like i i get why people liked it but I, it's not clicking for me the way i wanted it to um and majora's mask i i think when i tried playing it initially just like didn't have the like mental fortitude to understand what was so cool about it um and honestly i i have enjoyed hearing about people's experiences with this game way more than i've enjoyed playing it myself um i have played probably i would say i've played as much majora's mask as you played in preparation for this episode (laughs) okay cool 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 i knew that i knew that because you didn't have a 64 so i knew that you didn't like have that when it came out moment with this game yeah i had the um i had the uh gamecube game that you got if you pre-ordered wind waker um oh nice the dungeon master thing or whatever yeah uh which which had ocarina of time and and majora's mask on it which was like a wild bundle but yeah that's so hard to find i like wanted that desperately yeah i hope i still have it i might still have it somewhere um but hell yeah yeah that is uh that that was how i played as much of ocarina of time as i played and 
Majora's Mask. But I, I weirdly enough, was more interested in going back and playing the 2D stuff, which is how I played that as well. It makes sense. I mean, especially like we talked a lot about this on the on the recent Mario episode about how like Mario 64 was the sort of like proof that you could make a Mario game in 3D. Yeah. And like it still plays great, but it very much feels like this is the first Mario 3D game <laughs> and maybe one of the first 3D games, uh, you know, overall. <laughs> and Ocarina definitely is like, I think, even a more amazing accomplishment in terms of like taking that franchise and putting it in 3D. Yeah. Like, and I, I think that it's hard to feel that when you've played like the classic ones, which are kind of timeless. I think like playing Link to the Past and and the more recent like rehash of that with Link Between Worlds like that style of game is still so heavily present in even other games you know like Binding of Isaac and like other kind of like dungeon crawler roguelikes yeah. there's something timeless about those eras that time hasn't been as kind to the N64 you know but all that outside to say, of things like Paratopic just aping that uh, <laughs> that visual style yeah for horror reasons I wanted to bring up Majora's Mask, one, because the vibe is very Halloween, but two, because I think you and I are always interested in like sequels and entries in a series that kind of examine the series itself. Yes. Um, and I think that Majora's Mask as a sequel to Ocarina of Time is like really brilliant. And this is a game like I think I haven't brought up because like this game is so heavily talked about. It's so beloved it's got like a very strong cult following and like is the Zelda game if you want to sound cool you say this one is your favorite um <laughs> yeah and I get it I will say it's it's I mean I love every Zelda game you know even the ones that fall lower like they're all good and Majora's Mask had a huge impact on me as a kid because my first one was Ocarina of Time I had that lightning bolt 1997 moment mm-hmm of of having that be my formative experience with the series and it's magical and just to like quickly rehash it Ocarina of Time like narratively is is the sort of quintessential hero's journey of Zelda I think it's a little bit more interesting than than sort of the usual beats because to me Ocarina of Time is a game that is about growing up too quickly. You know, that game is divided into this segment of your young Link and you're kind of learning the world through this kid's eyes and you're meeting people for the first time mm-hmm. and and you're getting abilities, but they're all kind of juvenile. Like you have, and this connects to Majora's Mask, which is why I'm laying the groundwork, but you know, you have a slingshot, you've got like nuts, you know, you, you have like the like wooden everything. sword in the beginning, right? Yeah. yeah. You're basically stick, playing so you a stick. You're playing hero and like you're helping, you're saving and doing important stuff. But like there are such bigger threats. Like I remember one of the, my favorite moments in Ocarina of Time is like you're a kid. You've gotten all the legendary stones and Ganon is like chasing Impa and, and Zelda. Yeah. He's like, hey, kid, like, did you see where they went? And like you pull out your wooden sword and he's like, OK, guy, like <laughs> there's no like he just laughs. He's like, there's You're taking me on like you've got guts. I'll give you that. You got the Triforce of Courage, I can see. And just blasts you away. And then, you know, you run to the Temple Time. It's that iconic moment where you pull the Master Sword out and you grow up. But you did it too soon and that kind of fucked everything over. And that game to me is a lot about, like, you ingest the world as a kid and then you suddenly are an adult and everything is kind of warped a little bit. And it's, like, kind of bittersweet to, like, go back to these areas. Like, going back to Kokiri Forest 
and it's overrun with monsters and the Deku tree has shriveled and died and right. like it's kind of about reclaiming the world you thought you knew and it's just so good like yes it's like definitely an N64 game but like it's a really wonderful experience and like I think kind of hits all the notes that you want a Zelda game to hit not a hot take Ocarina of <laughs> Time well liked game um, but I think it's worth saying all that because Nintendo has this hit this like instant Casablanca classic you know which yes I know Casablanca was initially mixed reception but you get what I'm trying to say um anyway uh, so Majora's Mask to me is like literally the team has said like how the hell do we follow that like what yeah. do we do after that and uh I found this out recently a lot of people have compared Majora's Mask to Groundhog Day the development team was actually inspired by the German film Run Lola Run oh which wow weirdly I was obsessed with at that age too because oh. <laughs> it has a very intense like uh, German techno soundtrack anyway Run Lola Run is a movie that kind of takes sort of a Groundhog Day approach where like you're she's in the same like time loop and like she does different approaches in this like fixed amount of time yeah like she has to like save her boyfriend before an hour run something like that and i think that the intention with majora's mask was to like let's make a game that is almost like an a weird twisted reflection of Ocarina Mm -hmm. Um, and going back to it and like really noticing what these reflections are is really fascinating. And and just a quick setup for those unfamiliar Majora's Mask. You play as Link after the events of Ocarina. It's one of the three direct sequels. Yeah, Yeah, it's a direct sequel. And what's interesting about the ending of Ocarina is that you save the day as adult Link and then Zelda turns you back into a kid and is like, now you get to live your life. Mm -hmm. Like, You've you've kind of sacrificed your life to save this kingdom. I've given you now a timeline where you can just be a kid, which makes it even sadder that like it begins with uh, Link lost Navi. So that's like the first big reflection is like Ocarina begins. Link is the only kid in the Kokiri forest, which is very much like a lost boys vibe. Like, yeah, they're elves that never grow up. He's the only boy without a fairy. So the very beginning is like Navi kind of flying to Link and being like, hey, you know, the classic thing. (laughs) But in Majora's Mask, it starts that Na'vi is lost. So like, it's already the flip of that. Link is looking for Na'vi. Yeah. And he's walking through these very foggy woods and you get ambushed by Skull Kid. And and the, the whole premise of the game is that Skull Kid this kind of almost demonic version of the Kokiri, you know, a kid that never grows up, gets this mask that's all powerful. It reminds me a lot of Akira, weirdly, Mm. in retrospect. Like, Akira is largely about, like, a very misguided and, like, Mm. big inferiority complex 14-year-old gets the powers of a god and, like, what happens next? Yeah, Skull Kid finding Majora's Mask feels like that, where he's this kind of immature kid you learn that he was kind of a loner and like bullied so there's like a little bit of sympathy but like he gets this mask that kind of takes him over and becomes like a instrument of chaos it's also one of the few games where ganon isn't the villain and i think that's why people really love majora's mask so much is like it's this totally new take on the series yeah and and basically does he show up at the end does ganon still show up like no ganon's not in ganon's not even mentioned so in this, game. this is what the game that doesn't have ganon as the like ultimate villain then uh i guess skyward sword maybe didn't either a few other ones but yeah. like usually it's ganon <laughs> yeah i'm just thinking like even uh friend of the show dom nero's favorite villain zance zance like <laughs> is later followed up by ganon yeah yeah so skull kid gets the majora's mask and summons the moon to crash into the earth in three days and uh 
basically early on in the game you get the ability to play the song of time which resets time to the dawn of the first day so each day is roughly it's a little under an hour of actual game time so you basically have three hours until the world gets destroyed yeah but you have some things where like playing the song of time brings you back to day one you also can play the song of time like in different ways to either slow down or speed up time. And I think the reason people love this game is like, it is such a unsettling talk about David Lynch. This is like if David Lynch made a Zelda game, I've said that before. And like, yeah, it's what I stand by. It is so eerie. And like, it is knowingly this like, kind of disturbing reflection of ocarina i mean down to tingle tingle was introduced in this game right and he is a 35 year old man who believes he's a fairy and like wants to be a kid again like acts kind of juvenile yeah so he's like the immediate opposite of the kokiri so much stuff like that is happening and the fact the game has this just like the fact that your only like guide really is like your fairy who is kind of like antagonistic to you in the beginning because she's working for Skull Kid and then like gets separated from her sibling and then she's like okay like let's work together to find my brother. She's the only one that's kind of on the same page as Link and maybe the happy mass salesman but even he has like a very <laughs> Willy Wonka vibe like yeah. you know he just pulls an organ out of nowhere. He's and, like, very scary. He's a very scary incredible character. Yeah. Apparently they he, they based him off Miyamoto a little bit he has like a similar smile. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is very, or I think, I mean, Miyamoto probably put himself in as the mask salesman. <laughs> like he has that kind of, you know, one of the masks is Mario on his, on his backpack. Yeah. He's got Mario, Pikachu. I think Fox also is on there. Yeah. I just think, you know, it's hard to say anything that hasn't been said about Majora's Mask. And honestly, the reason it's not my favorite is I think that like the game itself is a little bit esoteric in design. Like even just the very beginning, like it's like, okay, uh, Skull Kid made me a Deku Shrub. I've got to like find the one fairy to bring the great fairy back to life. Like, it, that's always been Zelda's thing, but like it's especially hard to follow in this game. And like they eventually give you something called the Bomber's Notebook, which is like kind of like a Hardy Boys hangout where like mm. they're all wannabe detectives and like you can keep track of like, okay, I know this person on the dawn of the second day does this routine. Yeah. And like that could be fun to piece together, but like. There are some things that you just straight up need a guide for. And like, I don't know if that's inherently negative points to the game, but I do think that like compared to the intuitive design of like Breath of the Wilds, you know, if that's your first Zelda going back to Majora's Mask is going to be like a really rough pivot. Yeah. Um, that being said, it's a completely different game. If anything, it shares more in common with like weirdly like a point and click adventure than a Zelda game. Like it has this kind of like Tim Schafer creativity to it. And like I, I what I think this game excels at is the atmosphere the characters, the fact that you get these transformative masks that are all tied to characters who have passed away. Like there's this really tragic, just it's like sad and weird. And like, it's a hard game to describe without having played it yourself. Yeah. I do think it's worth experiencing. I think if you care about games as a medium, like Majora's mask is such a unique experience. And if you can, you know, if you have a guide or if you're fine Googling stuff, like you'll be happy you've gone through moments yeah, I feel like this is one of those games that really, really would benefit from. I, I find that in instances like this where I'm going back and playing a game like this that is older and like maybe the game design isn't all the way there. I feel no shame at all in using a guide because using a totally. guide means I'm going to get through it in the same way that I'm, yeah. I go back and I play the old Final Fantasy games. I use all the like weird like built in sheets that they have to like speed the game up three times and you always have a limit break and things like that. 
I, I love using that stuff because it means I'm going to finish the game. Like, it's totally cool. Oh, yeah. And I'm, and this is, like, I think one of the first Zelda games that, like, because Ocarina is a wonderful story, but it's almost more wonderful in concept than in execution. Mm. Like, you know, it, it's got a, such a good atmosphere and, like, but I can't say, like, oh, the dialogue is great or right, whatever. Right, right. You know, like, but Majora's Mask, like, is so well written and so, like, I mean... Maybe even less than the writing is good. It's just so purposeful in the environment. And like just just down to the fact that I think the use of music is very important because music is such a that was like the thing in Ocarina where like you can yeah. play songs on the Ocarina that would unlock things and change things and affect the environment. But in Majora's Mask, there's this like it's almost like it's the one thing Link has left. You know, mm. it literally very much is like in the moment where Skull Kid is going to destroy the world the first time out of desperation you're still Deku Link you have it you're not even in your original body you shoot a bubble at him and he drops the ocarina and like you grab it and like quickly recall Zelda telling you to play the song of time because it reminds her of the both of you like it reminds her and I think Mm. there's something about memory with song and like the fact that so many of the songs are like the song of healing is Saria's song backwards like stuff like that makes this feel like such a cool sequel and I like I think that sequels like this come very rarely it's also rare to see nintendo really like they always take risks well i shouldn't say always but like (laughs) they're known for taking leaps when we least expect it they're also known for being kind of beholden to tradition it's one or the other and majora's mass is a game that i think is such a leap narratively and thematically and i think that's why it stands out to so many people it's like i don't think they'll ever do this again you know like this kind of Zelda game, maybe with Breath of the Wild too. Honestly, I was just about to say Breath of the Wild too. That that initial teaser, if that's the vibe they're going for, I mean, it feels like Ionuma saying like, "This is my Majora's Mask moment." Maybe, you yeah. Know? Um, but I do think, and the, kind of going back to Paratopic, there's something about the N64 graphics too that like really aids yeah. this game's feeling of 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 just being unsettled, and even just like even when you're on the world map and it's playing the normal like the Termina music it's kind of majestic in some ways mm. like when the time is progressing sometimes the world will just like shake a little bit and whenever there's a new day it kind of like you hear a loud clock it almost feels like it was like the anxiety of making a sequel informed this game you know it's okay we've got we got to pump this out faster and and make it you know just uh, you know it's it, it just feels so um like true to something you know yeah, I, yeah. I think i think it's really a brilliant entry in the series um and i think that like well, the dungeons, I, I that's like always where I bump off. It's like the second dungeon. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I'm out. Like, you know, like, I just, mm. that's like, and it's a shame because there's so much to experience here. And there's so many cool moments at the end. Like when you finally go on the moon and you talk to all like the kids who are wearing the masks of like the bosses you've slain. Such a cool moment. Like one of my favorite moments in the Zelda game is like mm. being on the moon. And what's really neat about Majora as a villain is there's this kind of going to Tetsuo, but even more like less aware, like there's this very disturbing childlike sensibility to Majora where they don't really seem malicious. They don't have a big plan. Um, a lot of people have said that like Majora is like the chaotic sun to like the sorrowful moon that they're using as a weapon. But there mm. are a lot of thematic opposites in this game. Yeah. And like there's this sort of raw 
chaos and there's like a like a child that has never known what you know what their actions are doing like a kid always like will like squash a bug or kick a dog and then realize like oh that sucked like i didn't like hurting someone else i'm not going to do that again the majority never had that moment (laughs) as an entity because why would they they're this weird you know they're never fully explained either and at the end it's not even skulked it's it's literally the mask you have to fight Oh, it's just, it's such a cool game. It's so focused on and talk about adding narrative to the equipment, like the fact that all the masks are tied to these other characters. Like, you know, the Deku shrub mask is loosely or strongly implied to be the son of the Deku butler who you meet later. Uh, cool. The Goron mask is the fallen hero of the Goron. And everyone's like, oh, my God, he's back. He's here to save us. Uh, the Zora master is my favorite. You're in a band. Uh, that's one of my favorite, like Zelda voice lines is when you're talking to him on the beach, he's like, Oh baby. Like (laughs) as he, uh, as he gives you his spirit, I don't know, man, it's really cool. I, I, I really enjoyed going back to it. And even though it has that, like, okay, I need a guide for this. Like the atmosphere and the, the story is like really worth experiencing as a Zelda fan. Cause it's so unique to itself and it's perfect for Halloween. It's not like, it's not ever, it, it's disturbing. Like as a kid, the first time you put on the mask, like Link screams when he puts on the mask yeah. and transforms. It is, it is scary. I, my, my main uh, attachment to this game is not via the game itself, but is via all of the like creepypasta stuff. Oh, that there's so up many yeah, online, yeah. like way, way, way back. And I, I know it's probably not the like, the first iteration of like game related creepypasta stuff. But I just, I remember so viscerally like getting sucked into some of that, like honestly really good fiction writing that people were coming up oh, with. The Ben drown stuff. Yeah. That stuff yeah. was awesome. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, it, for those of you who don't know, there was this like really famous version of this that was going around where like somebody bought a copy of Majora's Mask at like a garage sale or something and it started like haunting them essentially. Um, yeah. And this person like went into the game and like altered the code and stuff to like actually make new things happen <laughs> in the game to like kind of sell the idea that this was actually happening to them. I mean, it was brilliant. It was brilliant writing. It was brilliant yeah. like work. The song just in of unhealing. It was like the song of healing, but like slowed down. There, there's a YouTube video. It's 10 hours of... <laughs> of the song of unhealing and it slowly zooms in on that like statue of link that shows up when you play the song it's like Mm. a later ability but it's like a really uncanny valley link like smiling weirdly and it just (laughs) in college my friends and i would just set that as each other's home pages that they left their laptop (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um Um, that stuff was great but i think you're like that is a testament to like the the like the memory and like the haunting power of this game. Yeah. The fact that people had to create more around it. Yeah. It's, it it was, it was amazing. So I don't know, weirdly enough, like that's where a lot of my understanding of Majora's Mask comes from is from reading that creepypasta stuff online. But um, going back and and checking it out at the times that I tried was really interesting. I actually just checked what you were talking before. I have it downloaded on my 3DS. I have the three, I have the like, Majora's Mask 3D version. Yeah, which I might get because like I love I love the novelty of having it on 64, but like I mentioned, like having it on my big TV is like kind of hard to see sometimes. Like I yeah. think having a little bit of a cleaned up version would be cool. I was actually just about to say I actually almost want the opposite. I really wish this was on Switch. It's like such a bummer that this oh, isn't yeah. on Switch. Yeah. Um. I, again, I mean, getting back into game preservation stuff, but like Nintendo is so fucking bad at this. It's so yeah. upsetting. It's like it's like yeah. the one thing I will always knock Nintendo for. And that's like this. This game is like this is such a following that like Majora's Mask and Switch would make them so much money and it could just be That's, a direct port. 
That's know? the thing. Like, yeah, it doesn't need yeah. to be anything special. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I'm really hoping that they do like a Legend of Zelda 35 next year that in- that has some kind of bundle. You know, I, a lot of people think that if something like that exists, it's going to be it's, it's going to be Twilight Princess, Wind Waker and Skyward Sword uh, ported to Switch. But I really wish they'd go back and do Ocarina of Time and, and Majora's Mask. I really would like to play those games. If you have a Nintendo Switch and you want to play something like this or something that inspired Majora's Mask, you can go and play a game I talked about a couple weeks ago called Moon, um, yeah. which was also an inspiration for Majora's Mask um, and is a really cool video game that is also a commentary on video games the same way uh, yeah. Majora's Mask is a commentary on just the Zelda franchise. Um, and I think what, I, cool. what I, that reminds me like what I really like about Majora's Mask like outside. It's almost like the dungeons are like they're fun because, you know, you have the novelty of transforming and using those powers like yeah. Deku Link can like have flowers as like a kind of glider. Um, right. Yeah, Link, Link, Link throws his hat to capture uh, uh, a, a Deku and it has a Mario mustache. <laughs> if you're like me and Eleven and playing Majora's Mask, you made Zora Link learn Nirvana songs on the guitar and just played them. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think, but going to moon and connecting the two, um, Majora's Mask is fascinated and obsessed with characters having a routine. So like every NPC is doing something on a certain day and you kind of have to remember that to get around. Like there's, um, there's a character who is blowing up a rock, uh, and he won't be, oh, he's like, he's getting rid of a giant rock that's blocking a part of the world map. And he isn't done with that until the dawn of the third day. So, like, until you get the item that you need to blow that up before he does it, you have to wait until the third day to get to that area. Yeah. Similar thing, like, uh, there's also, like, I think what's really good about this game is that everyone is kind of dealing with the end of the world. You know, like, especially on the dawn of the third day, like, there's this really kind of um, subtle but, but very present feeling of dread amongst everyone. Like... You get the happy bunny ear mask, which makes you run faster, which is a must uh, <laughs> from this guy in a in like a, a ranch. And he's like feeding chickens and he's like, OK, like this is how I want to go out. I'm just going to sit on the soup and like throw seeds to chickens like here. Take this like carpe diem, man. I don't need you know? this. And, yeah. Like that. That is really it's a, such a 180 from like help us link your only hope to this. Like no one almost even no one really remembers you. Like even when you're successful you've just prevented the thing from ever happening. And there's not that like moment of celebration other than with the happy mask salesman who just disappears. And there's almost canonical confirmation that this link just wanders off and becomes a Skullfos, uh, which is the teacher in Twilight Princess. Um, cool. That is like been basically confirmed by Nintendo. So like, it's almost like this is Link's final moments. So that, that's a big fan theory is like this is actually just Link dying. And like, this is like what's in his head. Mm. Um, I don't know if I would, that, that is almost less interesting to me, but I think it is a very surreal adventure and it is very much like Link processing a lot of stuff in some way. Right. Um, and, and I think that, uh, him, this is also in the Zelda timeline. This is, um, Ocarina and then the child timeline goes to Majora's Mask and then the Twilight Princess game. Yeah. The one that's adult Link where Link just sort of vanished, but like the sacred realm is devastated uh, is Wind Waker and the sequels. Yeah. Uh, and the one where Link lost is actually the first Zelda and Adventures of Link and weirdly the Oracle games. And the one that started it all was Skyward Sword. <laughs> but if you ask me, a lot of this stuff wouldn't really... It just feels like a lot of retconning, even uh, outside of the games that directly mention other ones. And it all ends with Spirit Tracks. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> the beginning and end of time is yeah, Spirit but, Tracks. Yeah, um, but... 
I, I struggle to find stuff about Majora's Mask that hasn't already been said, but I do think like game preservation and Halloween time, it's like, it's such a cool experience to have. And I do want to check out the 3DS, but you kind of nudged me back to my first opinion is like, it is so good on the 64 because it has that kind of <laughs> yeah. un- uncanny vibe to it. Yeah, I will say that I, I played the, um you know, a, a couple hours of or half of the Ocarina of Time um port for 3DS, and that was really good. So I imagine the Majora's Mask one is also really good. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I have to imagine it's good. And, and uh, I have it downloaded, so maybe I'll check it out. I mean, that'd be a fun. I'm amazed I don't have them. I don't know why I don't have both those games. I should get them for myself. Yeah. Would recommend. I think I've, I've gotten them as gifts for other people, but not for myself. I guess because I have them on 64. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Majora's Mask, that's going to be the conclusion to our spooky season. Uh, yeah. What a fun time. Well, outside of the bonus episode, which is coming. but Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That will be the final uh, the final bow, the encore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's it for non-Batman spooky season games, at least. <laughs> um, yeah. You want to you wanna wrap up? Is it time? Yeah, I think so. Um, Do you have anything else you want to say before we depart? <laughs> Do my a salesman laugh um also my glover scream sounds a lot like how skull kid sounds when he summons the moon coincidence oh. uh anyway <laughs> thank you as always for listening we really appreciate the support if you like the show the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend it's that easy uh if you want to help it even more if you're like that's not enough i need to do more for the aether You've got options, okay? You can give us a review on Apple Podcasts. A lot of you have. uh, Very nice to see. Um, It does help the show. uh, So, you know, if you have time and you feel that strongly, that's a direct way to help. But, I mean, honestly, just listening and and sharing it is is probably even more helpful. Um, We've got a Patreon. uh, Same deal as always. If backing it puts you in any financial strain, don't. The Patreon helps the show grow does not uh sustain the show the show will carry on no matter what but it helps us do cool stuff like i got an arm for my mic which helps for recording streams um we've entered the next generation of consoles we can get more games we can pay aj properly all that stuff is happening because you support the patreon and well we're never good this is just an idea well we're never gonna make paywalled content but I'm not against doing something nice for the patrons eventually. We'll figure out like what that looks like. But the Patreon is a, is a flexible, growing thing. So if you have any feedback on that, let us know. Like The first thing was like we used to say all the patrons' names out loud. And that got unsustainable after a while because you're all so generous. And I think you also said, like, stop doing that. Um, <laughs> and we did. <laughs> but uh, there's some stuff going around that I think, uh, or there's some plans for the future. Uh, and we'll always kind of think of the Patreon and stuff we can do. We have a Twitch. All our links are on Into the Casta online. So our Twitch, our YouTube, um, our Instagram, which is all the episode art. All of that's there. We've been streaming a lot more. Brendan's going to start his morning streams again. I'm going to probably resume Bloodborne this Friday, which will be a lot of fun. We have a medium as well, uh, which, you know, is sort of like the most up in the air schedule thing. Um, I wrote something that I that I really enjoyed making. Uh, it was like an RPG guide. Um, so I think we're going to update that periodically. So keep an eye on it. Um, it will probably be the most irregular thing, but it is something that we want to also like grow and sustain. And yeah, that's basically it. Uh, as always, thank you. We're, we're looking forward to ending the year. We're, we're gearing up for our uh, game of the year episode in December. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm really yeah, excited just- to revisit everything. My, my list yeah. has changed so much, especially recently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
yeah, it's, it's going to be it, wild. It's been a it's been a very eventful year for games. Weirdly enough, there's so much stuff that feels like eons ago. Like I, I re-listened to our FF7 remake episode. It's like, was that this year? Like, that I was just feel this like year, so, isn't that wild? I, 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 yeah. So, um, a lot of stuff to to do for that episode. I also always go back and I'll replay everything so it's fresh. It's very easy to like lean towards what you played recently. Yeah. So excited for that. So yeah, that's that's it. Uh, we we appreciate you so much. We hope you have a wonderful Halloween season. Uh, and thanks for just everything you do. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, and stay tuned for the bonus episode, which is coming in, I think, just a couple days. Yeah. Yeah, that was so much fun to record. Another another special thanks to Tan for joining us. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned this too. Like, it's always fun when we, when we forget we're recording. And like, I often did during that episode yeah. in particular. Yeah. Um, so, it's a good time. Yeah. Batman. Cool. Happy Halloween. Goodbye, Happy everyone. Happy Halloween. It's Halloween time in Termina. Happy Halloween. Take a shrug. Garbage dot online.